Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is the chief U.S. commentator and columnist at the Financial Times, Ed Luce. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. Now, we're going to get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the link to our sponsor, Lomi, in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting this sponsor. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, there's a lot to talk about it uh, this week, most of it kind of uh, low level. Uh, the John Durham report on the Russian Trump 2017 connection. This guy was handpicked by Bill Barr. Uh, to try to validate Trump's lies about the 2016 election. Trump guaranteed he was going to reveal the crime of the century against him. This was the greatest dud since the Edsel, the, the, the car, not not our dear friend Tom. Uh, <laughs> Durham acted like a political hack, conspiring with Barr to find stuff that just wasn't there. His top aide and another prosecutor quit because of unethical uh, prosecutorial behavior. In four years, more than $6 million of taxpayers' money. Here's what, he, here's what he brought. He had two indictments, both against kind of mid-level figures. Both were quickly, in a matter of hours, dismissed by the jury, and they were found innocent. And he, in a case handed to him, handed to him by justice, he cut a non-prison deal with an agent who doctored an email. That's everything that John Durham did. That compares to the Mueller report that Republicans love to criticize is a waste of money. Less than two years, half the time at Durham, 37 indictments convicted Trump's campaign manager and his deputy, Trump's counsel and national security advisor. Durham's criticism of the FBI, some of it legitimate, was a, just a rehash of what the inspector general already reported. One more item, James, that I just don't want to get lost in this. In their desperate effort to vindicate Trump, Barr and Durham stumbled across an unexpected tip from the Italians about financial uh, financial scam linked to Donald Day J. Trump. Somehow, this was deep-sixed, not mentioned in the Durham report. Trump's Capitol Hill poodle, Congressman Jim Jordan, wants Durham to testify. Bring it on. Dan Goldman and company, please ask him about how he forgot, I totally forgot about that Italian tip. So a couple of things. Number one is saying, I think it's a Chinese proverb or something, that a picture's worth a thousand words. You look at a picture of this guy, and he's exactly who you think he is, a giant sphincter, all right? That, it, I just I, 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 I can't get over that. And what he tried to attain is the creepiness of Ken Starr. He did not succeed because I don't think anybody could concede, succeed in that effort, but I think that was – had to have been what his goal was, at least it, it, he stumbled into it. The third thing I'd say, what is it about, why did these guys think this? And what did they think they were going to find? I, I mean, this, and, and he was experienced. He had a, a, a pretty accomplished legal life until, until he just ruined his entire reputation and made himself a joke. 
if, you know, Bill Barr, I remember people telling me, well, you know, he's pretty conservative, but he really cares about institutions. And, you know, he's kind of affable, smart guy, and he's kind of known around the Washington legal community. How, where do these people start believing this? That, uh, and I, I, I don't know the answers to that. But obviously, Bill Barr and John Durham, who, who at the time that they thought this, had by any measure accomplished lives. And they had this cockamamie theory that they spent millions of dollars trying to prove. And it was evident there wasn't anything from the beginning. I, I, I just wish somebody could tell me the psychology behind it. That, that's all. That, that's what I'm, perplexes me. Yeah, right. Or vexes me or something. Well, in order to vex and perplex You're right. you. Uh, because, look, there were a couple FBI overreaches in this whole thing. The wiretop authorization of Trump advisor we'll Carter yes. Page. But the red herring that Durham and company love to throw out there is that this all came from a discredited steel dossier. The dossier wasn't even used by the Mueller report. It really was irrelevant to anything but that one uh, wiretap authorization. The facts are that while Mueller said he couldn't prove legal collusion between Moscow and Trump, there is no question, no question, the Russians tried to help Trump in 2016. The campaign manager, Manafort, shared valuable polling information with the Russian agent. Trump's high command, including his family, met with Russians in New York when they promised to dish dirt on Hillary Clinton. And dirty trickster Roger Stone was aware beforehand somehow that the Russians were about to leak stuff on John Podesta and Democrats. The only question, James, is did it affect the outcome? You know, Pennsylvania scholar Kathleen Hall Jameson argues it did. Others aren't so sure. But the Russian-Trump connection was real. And if the FBI hadn't have investigated it, that would have been the crime of the century. And don't forget the Senate Intelligence Committee report, which was bipartisan. I I, I mean, did the Russians interfere in the 2016 election? Uh, Is water wet? Is the Pope a Catholic? Uh, I I mean, come on. And the fact that we're still having the argument and the fact that that people treat it as an argument, it's frustrating, it's maddening, it's ludicrous. And this is a country that is incapable of telling the truth to itself. And it, 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 it's just, it's depressing. Let's I move agree. on to something else. Well, I, I wish I could move on to something uplifting, James. But <laughs> okay. I keep forgetting the name of that river in Louisiana that has no bottom. But the Chapalaya. Well, the, 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 the new equivalent of that is Rudy Giuliani. Just when you think there's nothing sleazier <laughs> about Rudy Giuliani, who made a joke of himself in his service to Trump, now a former top assistant claims in a suit he demanded sex from her, including oral sex while he was on the phone with Trump, and he was trying to sell pardons for $2 million bucks, and he and Trump were going to split the proceeds. Now, he, of course, denies all this, but the woman clearly worked for him. She says she has tapes and recordings, And he has become such a disgrace, you don't dismiss anything about Rudy these days. You know, I hear people sometimes say, what happened to Rudy? He was the 9-11 hero. He was America's mayor. You know what? He always was a scumbag. He just got away with it because he was smart and clever and he indicted people like Mike Milliken and uh, Ivan Bosky. But he always had a total disdain for civil liberties and human decency. Rudy Giuliani is and always has been a bad man. Well, 
he undoubtedly, if he don't want to change like that, but I've never seen, uh, Trump didn't fall because it was always assumed that he was a criminal mm-hmm. huckster guy. It, I mean, it, he, he couldn't pay cash with a cosigner in the New York real estate business, all right? Giuliani, I, I don't dispute that he, he was always the same guy, but you know, he was one of the most, under his, he was a U.S. attorney. All right. How much of it was John Gleason? Probably 95%, but it doesn't matter. You, the guy at the top gets the credit or not, and they literally broke up the mob. I mean, they did. Then he became mayor, and he won re-election easily. Uh, the whole 90s was a time of of. of really rapidly dropping crime was a time of unbelievable economic prosperity. You could argue that he just rode that wave to popularity as mayor of New York. Then 9-11 happened. I mean, he was out there. He was going through the rubble. He was going to funeral. I mean, he did. And the the guy, I I, I mean, he he was hot, whether he should have been He was the leading Republican uh, presidential candidate for president at one point, James. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the guy is like, it's more than just a joke. He's a a national embarrassment. Yeah, but, but he had somewhere to fall, and boy, did he fall. And I don't know, how do you, how do you, he's my age. All right, how, I don't understand how that guy, in the legal expenses that he had. He was like, uh, on the speech circuit, shit. He was bigger than Colin Powell. I mean, he was knocking down quarter million dollar apparent speeches like, like, like they were M&Ms and just lost all of that. Had that Giuliani consulting, which was, you know, I'm sure it was some shakedown operation, but Rudy Giuliani had a lot of money. I mean, he really did. And he's lost it all. He, he, nothing but, you know, defend himself against every imaginable kind of criminal or civil case he can. But I, I just, it, it, it's stunning. I guess you you have to be right that, that that behavior was always there, but he did a pretty good job of suppressing it or it didn't manifest itself to the extent that, it, that it's one of the all-time Great scumbags. I mean, ever, <laughs> ever, and you know the fraud incorporated or whatever that Lev Parnas or that whole thing. Oh my God! Right. Oh, know. he's just. Uh, hopefully, this is the last time we'll ever have to talk about uh, uh, this sleazy character. It won't. It won't. It, it won't. And, you know, with the 2024 election coming up faster than we ever thought possible, James and I uh, may be on the road some. And we all know it's all too easy to leave full trash bins at home when you're away. But we found the perfect way to keep our places clean that also make a difference for the environment. We each have a Lomi to transform garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in under four hours. It's amazing how fast it is and how much our listeners are going to love it, knowing they're taking action for the environment and their gardens, James. This this product 
is unbelievable. You know, what we got coming up? We got Memorial Day. You know, have cookouts, backyard stuff. Of course, you're going to cook too much. And you 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 dispose of it in your trash can. And if you don't change it out or you, you leave, it stinks to high hell. It just solves that problem. It solves the problem of recycling wasted food and using it, you know, with great productivity. And then after Memorial Day, you got the 4th of July and all that entails, and then you got Labor Day and all that entails. So I, I, I think now is the time to get this product uh, in its, you know, it's, it's good year round, but in a place like this or Washington, which, you know, was built in a swamp, the, the days can be hot and humid and leftovers and if you don't take the garbage out pronto, you, you're going to have some, some odious smells around. So th- this is a great product, and, and I think the time to act, honestly, it, it is right now. You know, I went down to, we have a summer uh, place down the Chesapeake, which we go every summer weekend, and I went and, uh, you know, put the Lomi, uh, set up the Lomi, and my daughter said, no, no, you have to put it right next to the, uh, right next to the sink. We need that Lomi uh, every, uh, every day. Uh, and because of Lomi, Lomi, we've developed a love of composting, which is definitely a trait we all need to cultivate especially if you're in the city or out in a farm like James. Plus, it's made cooking at home even more enjoyable and in alignment with our values. That's because with Lomi, you can turn waste into nutrient-rich dirt to feed to your plants, lawn, or garden so it's not going to landfills and producing methane gas. Now, all our food scraps, plant clipping, and even those leftovers you forget in the back of the fridge, go back to the ecosystem. Now, even better, anyone who uses Lomi can grow more nutritious food right in their backyard. It feels so great knowing there's no food rotting in your garage and smelling up the kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, I only have to take the trash out once a week, and it's a hassle-free, mess-free experience. Imagine having no more leaky bags. There's no smell when it runs, and it's really quite quiet. It's making it the perfect complement to a tidy, classy-looking kitchen. And since I'm planning a lot of summer dinners, I don't know how I'd do it without Lomi. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash warroom and use the promo code warroom to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I dot com slash warroom and use promo code warroom at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. And you also can find the link in our show notes. All right, James, one of our all-time favorite guests. I don't know how many times we've had him on, but every time uh, it seems to get better and we learn more. Ed Luce, the chief U.S. commentator, columnist for the Financial Times. He's traveled the world. He can write about American politics, global politics, everything. Ed, there's so much to talk about, really, with your wide-ranging expertise. But you were the FT's Southeast uh, Asia bureau chief, and you've written extensively uh, on China-U.S. relations. Um, let me get your reaction to an intriguing David Ignatius column this week about a very optimistic U.S.-China high-level meeting in Vienna. Uh, and I must say that I think the U.S., the top U.S. official, uh, national uh, security advisor, was well prepared for it because he'd read an Ed Luce column. Uh, so tell us, is this, do we think there may be more 
better times ahead in this uh, dangerously estranged relations? I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that Jake Sullivan you know, is a very high caliber public servant. Um, and um, he knows all the pitfalls. He knows the character of Xi Jinping's China. And he knows how important it is. Since we're analogizing US-China today with the Cold War, he knows that we're in the pre-Cuba missile crisis phase. There are no safeguards in place. There are no routine military-to-military communications in place. China has been resisting those. And Jake Sullivan has been repeatedly pressing for China um, to agree to them. And stuff just just keeps blowing it off course. I mean, the balloon, of course, you know, literally, um, the balloon incident. Um, but also, I think, some of the rhetoric coming out of Washington, D.C. Um, is, you know, almost a match for the sort of hyper-nationalist rhetoric we, we hear coming out of China. And so Jake Sullivan and um, the Biden administration have to navigate that too, which which makes it complicated. The domestic politics, as you suggest, are really difficult because it's basically a contest between Republicans and Democrats as to who can, uh, you know, I, I hate China, let's take on China uh, more. I mean, there's almost, there are very, very few, there's a handful, but very, very few, uh, I, I think, sober minds uh, on that in, in this country. How do you change that, Ed? That's That's very, very challenging. It's really difficult. I mean, in the past, you could always rely on the business lobby, the the Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable, but they're completely divided now. There is no business sort of peace faction, if you like, um, to to lobby against the prevailing hawkish um, direction. Um, And partly that's, you know, China's fault. It's been ripping off the, 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 the innovators the creators, it's barred, you know, the Googles, the Metas, the um, um, everybody but Apple from China. Um, and so all you're left with is really Wall Street and private equity who do maintain a massive exposure to China. But, um, you know, they're, 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 not the, they're not the business world on their own. Um, I think you have to, you know, rely on the fact that there are people like David Ignatius, Fareed Zakaria. There are sort of... Ed in and uh, well, I wasn't wasn't going to include me, but I mean, there are voices that you know are not are not from uh, sort of weird parts of the spectrum. They're they're fairly mainstream, and I think um, thoughtful voices who are cautioning that um, America has more cards um, in in this situation, and yet the rhetoric implies that America has none. There's a sort of headless chicken nature of how China is discussed, you know, it implies that we're about to be taken over in some sort of dystopian futuristic movie and that we're all going to be, you know, at the mercy of Chinese uh, robots or AI. And it's just not that bad. Exactly. Um, One one interesting point may be Ukraine, where China seems to want to play some sort of mediator role now, if they bring pressure on Moscow, and I'm not sure they will, I don't think, you know, it seems, uh, goes back and forth, that's going to make it difficult for Putin. Can they really play a major role uh, in Ukraine, and will the U.S. encourage that? I hope they will. There has been a debate in the Biden administration, because when Xi Jinping initially came out with this 10-point plan for for peace, which was clearly 
bias towards the Russian perspective on this war. Um, the State Department, Antony Blinken, you know, issued a, a very dismissive statement. Since then, they've been more um, open-minded about it. And I think the latter stance is the more correct one. It's, look, we don't agree with the premise of your 10-point uh, plan, but we welcome any attempt to broker an end to this um, um, gratuitously uh, unnecessary, violent um, war. Um, and China has demonstrated, and again, you know, Jake Sullivan said so in public, congratulated China. It has demonstrated an ability to broker, you know, a deal, for example, between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Um, and that's a good thing. The more that China can feel some skin in the game of being invested in stability, and in the Middle East, for sure, you know, they depend way more on, on energy for the Middle East than we do nowadays. So step up, start start providing guarantees, start, start um, shouldering some of the burden. Um, and we should encourage that. And I was very, very pleased to see that Jake Sullivan did say, look, we couldn't have done this deal um, with Saudi Arabia and Iran, because Iran, obviously, we don't talk to. Um, uh, but we welcome the fact that China did do it. Now, you know, Ukraine is a way bigger proposition. Um, but in principle, we should welcome uh, Chinese efforts to bring this war to, to a conclusion. James. So, Adam, uh, just reading the press, and that's all I have, and I don't know who's, but the, the war seems to be going significantly worse for Russia than, say, it was three months ago. Is that is, is, is that a fair observation? I think that's a fair observation, yeah. Uh, and I think it's fair to say we keep misreading or underestimating Ukraine. I think three times now, first at the beginning of the war, we, you know, we all thought it would be a walkover, including the CIA, who got other stuff right. Um, military experts, some of the most seasoned military sort of think tanks thought it would be over in seven days. So we got that wrong. We then thought that last summer, we were in a sort of battle of the Somme situation where nothing was going to move. And Zelensky and the Ukrainian armed forces surprised us. Very intelligent, smartly done counteroffensive where they retook Kherson and pushed China, uh, pushed Russia back in parts of the Donbass, struck Crimea, struck deep into Russian territory. And I think we're now in the third um, phase of Ukraine belying our rather negative um, assessments of its potential with its counteroffensive. Uh, I think we're going to see Ukrainian gains. So, you know, Americans, as you well know, have this, this I don't know, this fascination with the British monarchy, and we just went through a, a change in a coronation. Uh, our producer is a well-known anti-monarchist. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of neutral. I don't think they have much power, and it's kind of fun to see, but it it did look to me when I was watching, you know, snippets of this on television, that it 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 looks like it's on its last leg. I mean, I mean Queen was obviously very popular and had real presence. I, I, I said this guy didn't pull it off. I don't think. I mean, I'm not screaming and yelling, but it it, it looks like his uselessness is nearing the end. What, what's your general view about the whole thing? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I watched the coronation. I steered very well clear of Britain. 
um, uh, uh, 10 days ago when it happened, um, although I was in Europe. Um, and I watched it and had the same feelings. Uh, you know, if Charles famously has said, we need a bourgeois, he didn't put it quite like this, but we need a bicycling continental style, Dutch style, Swedish right, style right. monarchy. We need to have slimmed down. Um, and if this was slimming down, then what, what does overweight look like? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have uh, my grand, great-grandfather's in Denmark, and I spent some time there, and the guy was showing me around and said, well, we'd stop by and see the queen, but she'd be somewhere else. I mean, it, it's a very kind of open thing to have. I mean, apparently the queen just shows up anywhere, and, yeah, bicycle monarchy. But I, it, it's going to take a lot of deleveraging for, you know, they're, I, they're moving – but but anyway, it's a similar thing. So before I turn it back to Al, your wife is Irish and my family comes from Ireland. And there's this long-range antagonism and Ireland's always been the kind of junior partner in the Irish-British relationship. It's really... The UK are, uh, uh, should should really wish to have its economy as good as Ireland. How much of this is, 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 is Brexit? That the, the long suffering dormant neighbor now is has a significantly better economy and a, maybe even now better standard of living and it's kind of weird and it happened pretty fast didn't it happened very fast i mean it's funny that you know the the one area of britain that's caused such problems with the brexit withdrawal deal is northern ireland with the Northern Ireland Protocol, and they got a deal finally, you know, that, uh, well, let's have a red channel and a green channel in customs. You know, who'd have thought such genius could be applied to a to a, to a problem of um, uh, the, uh, Northern Ireland and the single European market? And so Northern Ireland is in the unique position of being in the British economy and in the European economy, and it's by far the fastest growing area of Britain, Northern right, Ireland. Right. Uh, so, and, and ironically, the conservative government is boasting, look, you're doing so well. I said, well, I wonder why they're doing so well. That's an interesting question. <laughs> let, let me think about that one. A, a clear host of B, pull trigger. <laughs> Albert? <laughs> Ed, you mentioned that you had just gotten back from Europe. Um, there is a, a, a real possibility, maybe not a probability, but a real possibility that the next president of the United States could be Donald J. Trump. What What is the view from London, Berlin, Paris, uh, you know, uh, Moscow, I suppose, of that prospect? And are they worried about it? And just tell us. Yeah, and, and this is one area where, you know, you won't see much daylight between London, Berlin, Paris, Dublin. Um uh, the, there is deep concern, um, you know, that um, without the United States, it's quite clear that the West's response to Putin's invasion of Ukraine would not have been anything like this. Um, it might well not have been enough. It might well not have happened, um, given differences between France and Germany and, 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 and between Eastern Europe, the Poles, etc., the more hawkish countries, the Baltics, and between the, the Club Med countries, which I think basically have been tilted by American leadership and, and without it might not have been um, behind the Ukrainians. So there is deep concern that if Biden is defeated by Trump, 
next year. And Trump, you know, as John Bolton, I wouldn't normally cite John Bolton, but I think he's correct in saying if he'd won a second term, would have pulled America out of NATO and keeps promising if he does win a second term um, next year, then um, he'll fix this within 24 hours. We know what that means, what Trump's saying he'll fix this. We know what the MAGA affinity with Putin means, and Europeans know this too. We know we know the skill of Putin when he brings up J.K. Rowling and gender-neutral pronouns and stuff in Russian president State of the Union speeches. This is not what Russian annual State of the Union speeches normally consist of. We know who he's aiming at, and that that given that Russia is not going to militarily win Ukraine on the ground, his great hope is a change in America's stance. And that is a deep concern in Europe, across Europe, uh, a very deep concern. And it's very hard to hedge against that happening. And again, to quote John Bolton, uh, as he said, Putin knows how to play um, Trump like a like a puppet. I mean, he he really has... Uh, he he dominates him in a in a rather clever way. He does, and you know the question: Why why did Putin invade under a Biden administration? He didn't need to do that under Trump's administration. He was getting what he wanted. Um, he was getting. Uh, we all recall the first impeachment of Trump and the fact that this was triggered by Ukraine, right. by his treatment of Zelensky, um, by his uh, you know mafia esque sort of quid pro quo in terms of getting dirt on Biden, and in exchange, I might send you some defensive weaponry. Um, so Putin was getting what he wanted without a shot being fired under the first Trump administration. The second would be unhinged compared to the first. We would begin with people like Rick Grinnell as Secretary of State. There would be no adults in the room. Kash Patel as head of the CIA. Looking at the kind of people Trump would have in place, they would be believers in Putin. Well. Boy, that is scary. You write a lot about American politics. Uh, you're writing, or just have written a piece about Kamala Harris. Um, how important do you think Harris or the perception of Harris is going to be to this upcoming presidential election? And has she grown at all in the job? And I should ask you your views on this um, too, but I'll very, very quickly summarize my column, which is, you know, that... The conventional wisdom is that running mates don't have an impact and data, historic data shows. And again, you both know far better than me, very rarely have anything more than a marginal impact on election outcomes. I don't think historic data is much use in today's American political climate. I do think because of Biden's age, um, that Kamala Harris is going to be a target. And I do think that she's been languishing um, in, in the approval ratings um, uh, and uh, that she might be quite an effective way of a Trump or a DeSantis drawing blood from a Biden-Harris ticket. And therefore, Biden's got to... There's a lot of passive aggression in this White House between the vice president's office and the Oval Office. And they've got to get over that quickly because he's not going to drop her. He can't drop her. Um, uh, and it's quite correct to say that, you know, she is a heartbeat away even more than it would normally be. She is a heartbeat away from the presidency. They've got to build her up and they've got to build her up quickly. And uh, I, I think this passive aggression, maybe they're getting over it now, uh, but I, I think they've got to get over it quickly. And I, but I, as I say, I'd be fascinated in your views on this. Well, I'm going to yield to James, but I, I 
subscribe to every word you said. Literally, I do. Uh, and I do think, however, it's not going to be an easy task to build her up. Uh, two and a half years has taken a toll, and they're going to have to carefully select issues, I suppose, and platforms. But uh, it's a real challenge. James, your your well, take. But first of all, I, I agree with the whole premise of the conversation on Vice President Harris. So one of the events that really got a lot of from the journalistic political view was the CNN thing with Trump in New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of back and forth on it, but one of the valuable things is Trump is telling you exactly what he's going to do in the second term. He's basically saying, I'm going to be Putin's puppet. I don't really, I, I want Russia to win. Uh, to that extent, sometimes people, because we assume that Trump lies about everything, we don't believe him when he's telling the truth. And he's telling the truth, and I'm your retribution. I'm going to get everybody back. That's exactly what he's going to do. And going forward, do you, in terms of platforming Trump or, or making some kind of deal to get him out there, you think it's more harm or good in doing this? What would be your general observation about how much should we pay attention to Trump and how much should we cover it and how much should we let him have this kind of exposure that he obviously gets when he does this? I mean, I would completely not take the, the attack that the CNN took. I think that was a mega mistake on their part. I mean, there might well have been um, there might well have been good ratings from it. It might, on a commercial basis, have been a sound decision. And unfortunately, therefore, I think that this mistake is going to recur. Um, you know, Les Moonves of CBS said essentially back last time in 2016, Trump's the best thing since well, a license to print money. I forget what he his exact words were. Good for business. And so good for business. So so Trump. Uh, you know, uh, Trump gets earned media. Um, and uh, I don't know what to say other than to Hector, the TV people, um, that they, they ought to have they ought to have sort of a larger strategic vision of their business than this. But I know that this falls on deaf ears. Um, a lot of people say, oh, look, DeSantis is just as bad as Trump. I don't think he is. I think he's awful. Um, you know, the bar is, there isn't even a bar there. Um, I think he's awful. I think he's a dark, fairly malevolent figure. Um, it's not just that he's not likable, is that, you know, he doesn't like you. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, uh, but I don't think anybody's as bad as Trump. Um, and I think, and I think therefore, you know, the, the bet that Trump is the one, the one to beat and the one we want as the nominee We've heard that before in, in 2015, 2016, and, and we've come out the wrong end of that, and we can't afford this again. Well, I, I, I know that, but, but Trump doesn't need he, – he, there was no negotiation with CNN. He said, this is the way we do it, or don't do it. And, of course, there's a financial interest in CNN in doing that. I'm not – I don't hold any particular affection or disaffection to CNN. And, of course, a compromise would – we would all think are standard rules of journalism. But on the other hand, we did get we did get him saying basically I'm gonna be Putin's puppet. And I mean there's some value in that. And he's not going to he's not going to do a, a, a typical 
sit down our meeting with the video with the FT board. They're just not going to do that. He's not going to just go on television and, and just ask me anything you want. It, then, it, so you, you have the choice of not covering him uh, or covering him on his terms where at least you get to some idea of what he wants to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm not as definitive on this as you and Al. I, I don't know. It's hard. I'm going to just jump in yeah. to say, yeah, mm-hmm. I, uh, I agree with Ed. Yeah, I, I agree with yeah, Ed totally. Yeah. There was nothing Trump said that he hadn't said before. We knew everything. We knew what he was. Uh, right. It's just those people who said, maybe we'll see a new Trump like a new Nixon. We're naive. Uh, and uh, you, of course you got to cover Trump, but you sure as hell don't cover him and give him his own pep rally when you cover him. Ed? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I lean more more towards Al on, uh, on this because I do think, he says all this shit, you know, on Truth Social or, or right. you know, on One American Network and presumably on whatever Tucker Carlson's Twitter channel is going to be. Um, I think to give him that extra platform, um, I mean, it was extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary gift, I think, that CNN gave him. Okay, Albert, I'm, I'm, I'm still torn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, look, I and I might have been okay with a town hall that he didn't pick the, the, the people. I mean, if you had a sample of New Hampshire, th- those were all Trumpites there. They yeah. were they were picked ahead of time. It was a rally and was a rally in which Caitlin Collins, who tried very, very hard, I don't I don't much yeah. criticize her at all, but she she became just a prop to that Trump rally and that was unfortunate. But Ed, um, one thing you wrote about, I thought in a terrific column was the U.S. Supreme Court uh, a month or two ago, they're going to close this session probably by knocking down affirmative action, maybe upholding racial gerrymandering uh, and some other decisions. Uh, this court really is in trouble, isn't it? It is. And I, I, you know, I don't hold any candles for John Roberts, but I do know that he's the one amongst those six conservatives on the Supreme Court who has a larger self-preservation instinct, a regard for the institutionalist aspect of the Supreme Court. Uh, You know, he stopped Obamacare from being killed when he had the swing vote. Um, Unfortunately, he doesn't have the swing vote anymore. Um, So, you know, he just has to go with the majority unless he can pick off one other, um, you know, whether he can pick off Kavanaugh on some issues or Gorsuch on, on some issues, I don't know. But I don't think there's any restraint there because if you look at the, if you look at Justice Thomas, um, the impunity with which, you know, forget all the financial scandals um, that ProPublica have so diligently and excellently exposed, um, uh, or the fact that they're not even scandals, you know, um, amongst the Supreme Court bunch. They they know how Thomas behaves. They know how Scalia behaved. Um, for, for, forget all that. Look at the record of Thomas. Look at his wife um, and her role in January the 6th. And, and then ask who is going to hold the judges to account. And we can't. Um, we can't. They're there for life. Um, nobody's going to impeach them. We're never going to get two-thirds of each chamber um, to agree on that. Um, I don't see what the restraint is unless they themselves understand that their actions are going to endanger the Supreme Court. At some point, um, this will involve an expansion 
of the Supreme Court, not packing. This will involve uh, 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 an enlargening of it to better reflect sane judicial philosophy and American public opinion um, and term limits. And if that's what they want, they certainly deserve it. But if that's what they want, these extreme rulings that we're seeing increasingly um, are going to bring it about. James, you want to close this out? Well, yeah, I want to close out in, in a, a little bit of an observation. And this is a very, you know, well, Jenny Thomas and Clarence Thomas are, you know, they're just comically corrupt. All right. that That's the portrayal of them. And, well, Roberts, he might be conservative, but he's an institutionalist and he's just a much higher class guy. And he and Jane are just higher class people than Jenny and Clarence. Actually, Jane Roberts made $10 million as a headhunter for elite law firms while her husband was chief justice of the Supreme Court. I can't tell you the number of conflicts that entails. Furthermore, Jane Roberts is on the board and quite active in an extreme anti-abortion group. I mean, like every abortion is wrong. If I were on the Supreme Court, I, I would ask my wife, can you stand down a little bit on this because we get all of these cases and do you really have, is there something you can do that doesn't intersect with me because you're recruiting for all these high-class law firms of which a lot of them are going to end up before me? And, and it used to be, I know, you know, to avoid the appearance of impropriety. And it looks like we give Roberts a break where we don't give Clarence Thomas one. And I don't think it's race. I think it's class, to be honest with you. But that's a general observation I have. Okay. Ed, Ed Luce, I don't know how many times we want to invite you back, but whenever you can come, Always. Uh, the thank invite you, is there. You are terrific. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Hold. I love being on. I love it. Thank you. Please invite me back. We will. We will. Hey, James, we're going to start a new segment, Screw the Voters, specifically efforts by some Republicans to suppress the vote, especially minorities and young voters. It's going on all over the country, and we're doing this uh, in conjunction with the Brennan Center, a foremost champion of voting rights. Now, here's one. Virginia withdrew from the Electronic Registration Information Center, or ERIC. That sounds like a dull bureaucratic action. Actually, it was an effort by Governor Glenn Youngkin to pander to the Trump lies about voter fraud. ERIC is used by 28 states and the district. What it does, it researches, checks, and improves the accuracy of voter rolls. As Brennan notes, it helps states update voter uh, files. It removes uh, ineligible voters while facilitating new registrations and helps weed out those very few instances of fraud. But, you know, the, the Trumpites, and, and they're all following his lead now, including Yunkin, they don't want these fair elections. They want to check and purge the rolls as they see fit. They don't want outside alternatives. They, they, want, they don't want new registrations. They don't want most of these new voters, and they don't want to have anyone question their baseless claims of voter fraud. Virginia was one of the founders of this organization. And it is, it is something that just helps uh, ensure honest and fair elections. And that's just not in the interest of the Donald Trumpites of this world. Yeah, no, I, voter fraud is not, it's very rare. It, there are a thousand studies on this and they all reach the same conclusion. 
and my favorite is Cleta Mitchell complaining in Wisconsin. Uh, college kids, they just roll out of bed and go vote. Well, why shouldn't they? That's all I've done all my life is roll out of bed and go vote. But where I vote, New Orleans is a block and a half from where I live. I, 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 what? I, I, it, 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 you know, I would say it's sick, but it's not sick. We know why they're doing this. Because if they actually had fair and honest elections, they'd lose a lot more than they're losing now. So and I, I, I love this segment. Brennan Center is a, you know, national treasure. Yeah, it sure is. And you Virginia residents out there, Virginia has never gone along with this kind of stuff, or at least not in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, you know, check and see what Glenn Youngkin, uh, you know, has tried to pull off this time in order to pander uh, to the Trumpites. We'll keep this segment going called Screw the Voters, efforts to try to really suppress the voters, uh, Jim Crow 2.0, 2.5, whatever we want to call it. Hey, James, the first known book banning on this continent was in 17th century in Quincy, Massachusetts. But, you know, in 2023, Florida may break the record for the most. The latest, again, thanks to the invaluable Judd Legum of Popular Information, a fifth grade teacher in Hernando County, Florida, is under a, quote, misconduct investigation by the Florida Department of Education. What's her offense? She showed her fifth grade class a Disney movie, Strange New World. These kids are 10 and 11, and the movie has been deemed fit for eight-year-olds. There's no sex or violence in it, and it fits into the science class being taught. The main character identifies as LGBTQ, but that's not what the movie is essentially about. But that was enough to get the morality stormtroopers out, a.k.a. the Moms for Liberty, one of whom suggested she was sent from God. The misconduct investigation will include interrogating some fifth graders. Fifth graders they're going to interrogate about watching a Disney movie. This is really more out of East Germany or Russia during the Cold War. You know, the victims, of course, are the children. Yeah, what, what people need to do, what I, what I do is show that scene in Field of Dreams with Amy Madigan <laughs> call that woman a Nazi cow for wanting to <laughs> burn books. I, I, my outrage is the utter predictability of the communication, or I say communications, I'll use it advisedly, by the White House and the Democrats on the default issue. There are three ironclad rules when talking about this, and they never, first of all, they said they would not negotiate, and of course now there's good peace in the Atlantic. He's admitting that he's negotiating, so don't make a promise you know, that you, you can't keep. But the three things, they, they have three ironclad rules. First, don't say debt limit. Say default. To default or not default, that is the question. Because that's the, that that's not just a technical word. That's the real word. The, the word I would use down here is renege. But not everybody knows what renege means, but it's the same thing. The second thing is there is no Republican budget. There is a Biden budget. There is. That there, that there is no Republican budget. And please don't tell me what you scratched out on a cocktail napkin at a bar after four drinks 
is, is, is a budget. It's anything but. And the third thing, according to David Jolly, former Republican congressman from Florida, who is, is a somewhat of a budget scholar, he, he's, admittedly he was a, a budget-obsessed guy, the United States has been accumulating debt since 1789. In that period of time, according to my cell phone calculator, it was like 1.6% of the time we've been led by Donald Trump, which has caused 25% of the entire federal debt. So if you don't say these three things, and you got everybody out willy-nilly saying this and that, of course the public is divided. They don't, they don't know because, honestly, we've done a very poor job of telling them. And, and I got to tell you, I, I never had much hope. And if there's one thing, if, if I could piece of observation, advice I would give, have some message discipline and have message enforcement. That didn't just go, go people in administration, that goes to, to Democrats everywhere. And call people up and say, you, you shouldn't say that. Say it this way. But we don't, we don't get the default message out. We don't get the fact. No one knows that they've not submitted a budget and no one knows that is a percent of time compared to percent of debt. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he was up there in World War II territory. So, and, uh, you know, this is going to, I'm sure that at some point, who knows how much damage they're going to cost. It costs uh, the United States Treasury hundreds of billions of dollars because of, we lost our credit rating in 2011. And it's it's depressing, but the White House communications has been pretty depressing too, and it's not not very well enforced. A chief tenant in the Republican platform, such as it was in 2022, is we are going to produce a budget. We're going to have regular order. That's what they promised, and they are not being held accountable for that failure. You're absolutely right, and I fear that that uh, train's left the station. It's unfortunate. It's not, it, it, it isn't because no one is saying it. And the only way you can do that is you call people up. And when, when you see that Kevin McCarthy is going on a show or, 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 or somebody is, you know, Steve Scalise is being interviewed, ask them about it all the time. They ask Biden about his age all the time. They should. I, you can't say that, oh, that's some kind of phony baloney issue. It's not. The fact that they hadn't produced a budget is the farthest thing in the world from a phony baloney issue. And by the way, they have a constitutional responsibility because all spending bills have to originate in the House of Representatives. And no one freaking knows it. And it, 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 just, it, 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 it just doesn't do any good to get, you know, mad, but I still get mad. No budget. And they it promised was. it. It was a big deal. And Biden produced the budget. He asked, you know, line by line, that whole thing. They, they've done nothing. It's just, it, 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 and I, oh, it's just so predictable. You could see it coming a mile away. Depressing. Hey, James, once again, we have so darn many good questions that I have to choose which ones we can do. But uh, again, oftentimes we get to ones if we don't the following week or week after that. So keep, please keep them coming. I'm going to start with Mike in Westminster, Colorado. 
You said, why haven't more Democrats made commercials like Colin Allred, where they point out the whereabouts of each Republican member of Congress during the insurrection? We know that Allred and Jason Crow were in the House floor ready to fight against the mob. Where but the likes of Cruz and Gosar and Hawley, they were cowering in fear or like sissies ran away. This needs to be made an issue. Uh, well, first of all, this show is a huge Colin Allred. We, we love Colin. I, I think people are genuine. What I hear out of Texas, people are genuine, excited about his candidacy. And he is, you know, I'll never forget watching January the 6th and some Andy Big, some congressman, Republican congressman from Maryland, it's like started out like he was going to, you know, attack Colin, and he uh, he thought better of it, and he made a very wise decision, a, a very wise decision. Uh, I, I hope, you know, if you look at Cruz, he is, you know, Trump says his wife's a hag, his dad is a murderer. He goes to Cancun, and he blames his teenage daughters. He's, Cruz is not a man. Colin is a, and I, I know it's kind of sexy to say, but in terms of that, ethos of Texas that you kind of stand up. You know, Colin was a football player at Baylor. It was spent five, five years with the Tennessee Titans in the NFL. I mean, he's a real strong dude. And I would just use a photo of him in a Baylor uniform sweating full of mud and Ted Cruz in the Houston airport with carrying around that little bit of roller bag as he was escaping Texas. But I'm excited. And, you know, I you got to get this in because I was very involved in it. But the, the, for the Democrats, like coming up Mississippi race, I don't know what it means, but it certainly doesn't mean anything bad that a, a Democrat won that Jacksonville mayor's race, which was the largest city in the United States. It was run by a Republican. It was Ron DeSantis' home county. The Democrat got out spent four to one. And it's a legitimately kind of swing county. It, 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 it's the city of Jacksonville and encompasses all of Duval County. And I think, and then Nikki Freed, who's my dear friend, who's the party chair, who lost the Democratic primary for governor in 2022, I think that, that we can get a little excited about this because everybody, we'd had nothing but, you know, awful news, horrendous news coming out of Florida. And this might signal something a little different. And I, I believe I have one of the best quants in Florida. I'm going to talk to later today. It, but I think this, what, what preliminarily I'm being told is this is like a 2022 election where uh, uh, Deegan, I think was the name of our candidate, we had an outstanding woman candidate, and did a little better in the Republican areas than, than, than is normal. And that, that proved to be a part of the victory. I don't know that for sure. That's very preliminary, but I'll be able to discuss it more next week. With James, I should have brought that up in our earlier chit-chat because you were on top of this, this right, you know, right. weeks ago, said watch Jacksonville, and it right. it's a, it is a big deal. It was a big upset. Also, uh, good news for Democrats in Pennsylvania. Yeah. They kept control of the state legislature by uh, winning a, uh, a competitive seat. Yes, didn't, they didn't did, win and they good. also the, the the moderate progressive uh, was elected mayor of Philadelphia, defeating uh, someone from the left. Oh, so and don't don't dismiss the power of the building trains mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. endorsed her, and uh, 
Yeah, it it and you know it was significant, but I I that that state house seat in Delaware County, it was a blue district that everybody was saying that we were in danger of losing, and something tells me that uh, Governor Josh Shapiro, Josh Shapiro is one happy man today. I think we can uh, you know be assured <laughs> yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Ellen in Normal, Illinois, asks, what about Michelle Obama throwing her hat in the ring? She's been in the White House for eight years, extremely intelligent. Uh, she'd make a great candidate, whether it's 2024 or 2028. Ellen, that's, this, is, this is a game played by people who really don't have the Democratic Party uh, interest at heart. Michelle Obama does not want to run for anything, and she's not going to run for anything. And what this does is it the the, the veiled suggestion, or not so veiled, is the Democrats don't have any great alternatives. Well, they do. They really, really do. Uh, I mean, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, Roy Cooper of North Carolina, Andy Bashir, who I think will win re-election this fall, uh, Mitch Landro. Uh, there's a lot of alternatives, and and the this stuff about Michelle Obama is just intended as a distraction uh, from that. I, I, I so agree with you. And it, it kind of, Doug Schoen had a piece, okay. But I'm not going to get into Doug Schoen right now. But it's all based on a false premise that we don't have anybody else. When, in fact, you mentioned some, we could go, I could go on and on. I get, sometimes I get tired of repeating. And, I, and some of these people, our friend Wes Moore, all right, some of these people are have the potential of, of world class talent. I mean, Josh Shapiro. When I watched Roy Cooper, Josh Shapiro. Yes, I mean, I, I I hate to to go through because you always forget someone. But the point is, I I, I generally try not to do a litany of all of the uber talented people that are in the Democratic Party because I I inevitably forget someone. But uh, I single out Roy Cooper on this, of course, we lost the abortion thing because when, you know, when great, it's bad if you live in North Carolina. Uh, I don't think this is particularly helpful to the national Republicans. And we still don't all. know how they bought off like that was uh, former Democrat, former active right. pro-choice person who suddenly did about a 180. And we don't know what she got for it yet, do we, James? Right. Bought is, is the operative word here, yeah, but Cooper looked he did. really strong, really aggressive, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I did that. The, 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 uh, Michelle Obama's a, a fine person, has done remarkable things in her life, and I'm sure she will continue to. But when people say that, what they're what the origin of that is, there's no talent in the Democratic Party, which is demonstratively. John in Kettering, Ohio, asked a question that really does bother me, vexes me, perplexes me, whatever have you. So I want you to answer it, James. The unbelievable loyalty, asked, of Republican voters to Trump, given his demonstrated twisted nature, truly surprises me. John is 63 and never thought people could follow such a person uh, here in the United States. Do you think our republic has reached a new low in this regard? Are Republicans forever destined to be vulnerable to this kind of demagogue? Well, Albert, you know, Trump, for all intents and purposes, is the Republican Party. 
I, I, in, we thought, I certainly did, that, you know, it was a kind of free trade, uh, pro-order, national defense, uh, you know, didn't get to be drug kicking and screaming to do environmental things, but to, the fact that, the, you know, B- B- Bush 41 had a pretty good environmental record. Uh, Bush 43 was a key figure in uh, dealing with uh, AIDS and, and poverty and sickness around the world. I mean, it's a disaster and war and disastrous recession. But there was something that, that, that you could see there. This is not even, it's called, they still call it the Republican Party. The Republican Party today has as much in common with the Republican Party in 1989 as the Democratic Party has in common with the Democratic Party of 1875 when when it was the segregation of Southern Party. So it, 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 it's the Rep- Republicans in name only. And they, and that, the, the, they used to call the the you know, more moderate Republicans, rhinos. Actually, the Trump people are, are the real rhinos. I mean, Republican in name only really defines them because by any historical method that you do comparisons, they're anything but Republicans. Yeah, um, I totally agree. John in Chicago, Illinois, uh, we covered this uh, earlier with Ed Luce, but uh, we got a number of questions on it. Uh, complained CNN gave a platform to a libelous, slanderous, and bigoted man who spews his division and hate. Uh, that was wrong. John, I agree. It was wrong uh, what CNN did. Not It's not wrong to cover Trump. You have to cover Trump. Not even necessarily wrong to have a town hall meeting with him, but you don't let him pick out his audience. You don't let him decide you know, basically the questioners. You don't, in essence, provide your platform for him to have a pep rally. And that was the problem with it. Uh, And I hope we'll learn something from it. A little bit skeptical. And, uh, you know, a follow-up question came from Jack in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, who makes a really good point. Next time he's on and 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 he spins out this theory about Mike Pence, someone ought to ask him, does that mean that Kamala Harris could overturn the election uh, in 2024? I, I, I don't know what he'd say about that, James. Well, all right, because you and I have had a lot of discussion on this. And everything that you say that, you know, when you start letting people dictate the, the contours of journalism, or they get to pick it, you don't do that, all right? And boy, if we just, you know, had Tim Russett back or, or, or Ted Koppel or I don't know, you know, any of the kind of titans of journalism that I knew coming up in my career. You got, there's one thing we got to understand. He doesn't give a shit, and no one does. No one goes on Sunday morning. You you, you try to book a, a, a real policymaker to go there and be interrogated for, for 25 minutes on Sunday morning. They're not going to do it because, it, it, and plus their people don't watch it anyway. And so the, the, the dilemma going forward is he says, I'm going to do this, and this is the deal. And so you say, well, what CNN got of it? They got 3 million viewers, which I saw on Drudge Report that they were more than Newsmax the other night. And you have, uh, Kate, what's her name? Caitlin Collins. 
but she's kind of become a little bit of a media star out of this. I mean, I, I think when Zasloff and Chris Lick looked back on it and they said, well, we, we got a lot of shit, but, you know, there, there was an upside to this. I, and I, I, I don't think you're going to get you're going to get him unless well, you agree to his terms. You need if you're a serious news organization, you. an upside isn't worth forfeiting your integrity, which, of course, is what they did. And, and by the way, I, I think Caitlin Collins did as good a job as you could do. I don't think Tim Russer could have done a good job. When you let them pick the audience, when you let him pick, when, you know, it was a pep rally. That was the problem, not covering him. And I think CNN really did, uh, really did uh, disgrace I, itself. But I, next, next we're going I, to I New Australia. I, I and I this is, you know, James, we have a bunch of foreign questions this week. And Andrew is asking, if negative sentiment towards Biden continues, the Democratic Party will need to consider its southern governors. Can you say a few words about them, including Andy Bashir? Well, uh, I, I I saw Andy, I guess a month or so, two months ago. And I don't know about Andy or, or, or Westmore or Josh Sparrow or, or, or Gretchen Whitmer, who's really got it. I don't know. I, it, first of all, I don't know if Southern Governor is necessary, but there's certainly some Southerners that would, you know, Mitchell Roy Andrew, Cooper, of, of course. Uh, there's just so much, but I. It's a problem. I mean, we just, I mean, Biden's numbers are, are, are horrific. The, you know, we're going to go and we're going to go to post. If, if conventional wisdom is right, would Biden v. Trump, of which 70, 65, 70% of the country doesn't like the choice? And, you know, of course, the no labels people are lurking there. I, you know, I, I think somebody, some, you know, Bobby Kennedy is going to get votes and he's being promoted by Steve Bannon. I saw that he was talking to some, uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I know I read it. It was on a speaking list at, at some white supremacy group. Oh my God. If that's and, true, given but he said, doesn't matter. his father and his, uh, oh, I hope that's yeah, not true. I, 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 I know, I, 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 I know that I saw that. And like stupidly, I didn't write it down. But I, I, some, I, I now lean toward somebody significant is going to jump in this thing. I, I mean, if I'm sitting there in, in like a lot of politicians and there's nothing wrong with this, you know, I, I really think I could run for president. I think I have something to say. I think I could be president. And they got terrible problems in New Hampshire about how they handle that. They're not going to run the table in South Carolina. Uh, I was looking at somebody that focus groups of Democrats in Georgia, and they said, should should Biden debate Robert Kennedy at 12 Democrats, 12 yes. This thing is, is they've convinced people that they have it all figured out and that we're just going to go from point A to point B, and we can beat and we'll get Trump, and we can, we can beat him, and we'll beat him again. I... I I think their reasoning is is staggering. James, I hope they're right and we're wrong. I doubt it. But uh, yeah, it's in in the catastrophe of another Trump presidency. We don't even. We can't even us. We can't 
imagine the level of the catastrophe. Because for the first two years, you know, he had Gary Cohn. He had General Mattis. He had General Kelly. He had some people that were held in check his most horrific impulses. Then his second two years, we had a Democratic House. That some some curb on it. I don't know how much, not very much. He is telling you, it, it, he's not getting the, the, the kind of more establishment kind of Republicans. He is, it, you're going to see every MAGA, you know, Cash Patel, Michael Flynn, uh, Cleta Mitchell, you know, I, Jenny Thomas might be appointed Secretary of State or something, for all I know. It is going to be a, 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 catastrophe of the first order and we are playing we, we're really playing with matches here man it it, it the country and, and by, by the way listen to me this is 3.4 percent unemployment all right I'm, I'm not an economic forecaster but most people think this is highly unlikely to continue biden is beating trump by two two and a half points if you look at the averages one down seven is the post poll set but it is uncomfortably close. And if we're at 6.3% unemployment, shit, you don't want to think of it. Don't You don't want to think of it. And, and the, the, the odds of a catastrophe are, let's just say, yeah, Biden would probably win if it's Biden. Trump, yeah, you know, okay, you know, you people love that. Well, it may 60% chance. Well, the... Converse is a forty percent chance that he that he will, and this is so catastrophic. If you know you go get a medical test and say, "Look, six percent chance you'll be okay, forty percent chance you lose your sight or you'll be paralyzed." Well, you, fuck that! I ain't taking that test. And that's where we are as a country. And 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 you know we're getting a lot of happy talk here, and 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 you know like you know the idea that Biden is the only Democrat and Trump is ludicrous, but. You, the, honestly, the, the converse probably more true is Biden's the only Democrat yeah. that Trump could be. But uh, it, it, this is a we're we're in a we're in a frightening situation here. I'm I'm sorry, but this whole show I've been maybe more coming across kind of pessimistic, but I'm sure I'll feel feel better about things next week. I feel good about Jacksonville. I do, and I feel good about these. You know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. I feel about what happened yeah. in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, the indications are out there. People yeah. kind of want to yeah. vote Democratic. No, I agree. Stephen, speaking in Pennsylvania, Stephen in Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, says the Biden administration oh, wow. for the ne- for these next two years was supposed to be punching judges into the end zone nonstop. Now, with Feinstein being down, things have stalled. If Feinstein resigns, would it even matter? Republicans would not vote yay on a replacement to her on the Judiciary Committee couple things, Stephen. First of all, it is not, Diane Feinstein has had a really illustrious career in the Senate. She's done some really important things on gun control and on intelligence, and she's been sick. And she came back after a two and a half month absence, and she was asked about being away, and she said, I haven't been away. And it's time for her to step down, and boy, there ought to be a lot of wonderful tributes to her when she does. And you appoint a temporary replacement. And I'm sorry, the Republicans don't have the ability to block a replacement if there's a vacancy. They only have the ability to, um, to 
veto a replacement if if there's if if they want to substitute someone. So that would not be a problem. And uh, I don't know how many judges it's going to affect or not affect. I'm never quite sure what Joe Manchin is going to do. But I just hope actually for not only the sake of the Senate and the Democratic Party, I hope for Dianne Feinstein's uh, sake, for her uh, really, um, you know, extraordinary legacy. I hope that um, somehow she will step aside. (laughs) So... There's a lot of pushback to say, you know, when this happened to male senators, there wasn't the same reaction. And uh, yeah, uh, okay, the, the person that this hurts the most, the visual of her, all right, is Joe Biden. And it just tells people, which is, by the way, unfortunately, all too true, that the Democrats are an old political party with old people and powers of, of leadership. I mean, thank, you know, Speaker Pelosi, who we both have uh, some staggering admiration for, kind of saw that. But every time you see an image of Senator Feinstein, you say, well, she's not that much older than, than President Biden. And it, it, it reinforces it when people talk about the Democrats, say, well, like, there's all a bunch of old people that sit there in in. Man, when people want generational change, they're going to get it. I mean, I wrote that thing in 92. And, you know, we, we talk about vice presidents. I think that Gore did help us in 92 because I, I think, it. you know, we, we forget, but Al Gore and Bill Clinton, or even Hillary Clinton or, or Tipper Gore, when that first picture of them came out, uh, it, it just screamed that there's a whole new generation here. And... That's real power in politics. And, you know, the older generation can't believe that the country can exist without them continuing. And first of all, it can't be true. And it, it, it's not. It needs to be replenished. And I, I, you're right, Senator Feinstein has a stunning record. I mean, the stuff that she's done, like on intelligence stuff, that is, is torture, is staggering. Uh, but that's the image of the party, and it gets reinforced every time. Yeah, sadly it does. Final question is from Liz uh, in New York City. Uh, says, Republicans constantly pivots the idea of Army teachers as a solution to gun violence and mass shooting in schools. Why don't Democrats call them out on their hypocrisy and their near-constant assault on woke teachers? Aren't they essentially saying these dangerous and deranged groomers should be trusted with guns and should be the only line of defense to protect our kids from school shooters armed with AR-15s? Liz, that's a hell of a good question. (laughs) It is a great question. And all I ask anybody to do, everybody went to school, okay? And think about your fourth grade teacher. And having an AR-15 <laughs> on oh a lunchroom, ladies, do they get armed too? Oh, oh, All right. Oh. I, I, I mean, it's so utterly. It, 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 it's so utterly. It, 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 and they say this shit, and it's so. And, and when we answer it, we should answer it with with common human experiences that we had. And you think of the teachers you had coming through school. And think of him wielding an assault weapon. It, it, it's that what they say is it's so stupid. And if it wouldn't be that they were shooting kids up left and right, 
you, you know, you can't laugh at it because it's totally inappropriate. But they just say the dumbest shit that you can imagine, and their people just nod their head. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's give Miss Mabel a, you know, she'll show their ass. Oh, you know, on, James, please. you had suggested, as I recall, that, you know, if they really feel that strongly about it, why don't they have everybody pack heat at the Republican National Convention? And I, 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 I don't yeah. think they picked, picked, yeah. picked you up on that, did they? No, I don't think they did either, and I don't think they're going to. You, know, you, why, why, you don't need metal detectors. I, I, I mean, but the, the, the stuff that they say is so – all right, so one of their talking points is we need to do something about mental health. All right, we can all say, you know, all right, that's – take a long time for that to make a difference, but mental health is a is an issue, and it, I, 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 I am – it never convinced me, and I think the research is going to bear this out. I think the pandemic is is a significant contributor to these mass shootings. I think it's a significant contributor to people slugging little league umpires and flight attendants and and all of that. It doesn't excuse anything at all, but I think it's it, it's related. But that at least you can say what well, we need to increase mental health. It, 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 at least there's some rationale or reality to to that. Arming teachers is is laughably stupid it is it is liz thank you for that great question and uh, again yeah, great question yes they are fabulous as i say uh we'll we'll get to some of them next week so please keep them coming hey thanks for listening to politics war room with james carville and i'm al hunt don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the link to our sponsor, Lomi, in the show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them because when you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review, and we're going to be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.